Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. As we kick off the new year, we invite you to tune into our current series, The Forgotten Virtue, Learning to Love Again, where we'll discover how God defines love, Christ personifies love, and the Spirit empowers us to love one another. Together, we'll experience healing and hope in the love God designed for us, a love we carry through every season of life. Amen. Well, we've been in the book of 1 John. We started a sermon series in 1 John last week. So if you would please open your Bibles uh, to 1 John, uh, that's near the back of your Bible, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, Jude, and Revelation. If you've gone to Revelations, you've gone too far. Uh, just turn back a couple pages. 1 John. Uh, today we're going to be looking at chapter 2, uh, verses 12 through 17. So uh, 1 John chapter 2, verses 12 through 17. If you don't have a copy of God's Word with you in a physical form, feel free to pull out your cell phones, uh, type it into one of those apps. 1 John chapter 2, you're going to need it because we're going to dive into the very meat of the text today. 1 John chapter 2, let's read that together. Verse 12. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but it is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. These are the very words of our God. May we submit ourselves to them and may we remember them. They are the only words that will last forever. They are the only words that will transform lives. They are the only words that will continue to impact from now until the return of Christ. These are the words of the Lord. So as we continue our series in 1 John, the title of this series is called Forgotten Virtue. And what we looked at last week is this forgotten virtue is the virtue of love. And what we looked at is this word love is one that we have to redefine in the current culture that we live in today. It's very important for us to remember that the culture that we live in is very different than the culture that they lived in over 2,000 years ago. And that our world and that our culture is going to impact how we view words like love and how we view God and how we view different things that are within Scripture. And as we look at this idea of love, we see throughout 1 John that, that John talks about loving God. And we learned last week that in, to love God is to know God, and to know God is to obey God. We learned that there are those uh, within the world and who, who claim the name of Jesus Christ who, who say that they love God, yet they don't look like a Christian at all. And John said, don't fool yourself if you don't love God, if you don't love his word, if you don't want to obey him, if you don't want to pursue him, then you don't know him. 
So may we continually look at ourselves, because as we look at 1 John, what we're seeing are tells or signs of being a Christian. What John is doing here is two things. He's encouraging those who truly do know Christ to be steadfast in their faith. At the same time, he is going to challenge those and warn those who think they know Christ, yet they have no fruit whatsoever of being a follower of Jesus. And we looked at this word love, that God is love. Now, as we talk about this idea of love, I think in our culture and in our churches, this idea of love has become one that is, it is overemphasized. It is overemphasized so much that it, it causes us to actually forget about the very rest of the character of God. So much so that there are those who say a loving God would never hate anything. A loving God would never put his wrath on anyone. A loving God would never send someone to hell. A loving God would never be somebody who condemns someone. Yet we have to know and we have to remember that there are two pieces of the character of God. There are many facets to God, but we can really break it down. He is loving. It says in the Old Testament that he is abounding in steadfast love and mercy, but he is also just and righteous and holy. And these two pieces come together. And we have to take the entire character of God as we understand him because we want to be more like him. We want to follow him with all we are. And God actually hates some things in the Bible. We're going to look today at some of the things that God hates. Psalm 5.5, the boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful men. Also Proverbs 6, 16. There are six things that the Lord hates. We're going to see six things that the Lord hates. Seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, false witnesses who breathe out lies, and one who sows discord among the brothers or among the church. These are things that the Lord hates. The Lord hates evil. The Lord hates sin. And we as the people of God should love the things which God loves and hate the things which God hates. And the text we're looking at today could actually be added to that list of those things that God hates. He hates the love of the world. John says, do not love the world. And we're going to dive into that in just a couple of minutes here. But John, before he starts to talk about uh, not loving the world or pursuing the world or finding our pleasure in the world, he first wants to remind the Christians of who they are in Christ and what their identity is in Christ. You know, it's amazing to me because as we look at the New Testament, we actually see that the writers of the New Testament continually remind Christians who they are before they tell them how they are to live. If we look at Ephesians, if we look at Romans, if we look at Philippians, if we look at all these different books of the Bible, we see that the theology, who God is, who we are in Christ, is always before what we do and how we pursue and how we know God more and what we're called to. It's because serving God and obeying God comes out of our identity that is in Christ and knowing God. 
comes out of this desire to please him and pursue him. And so this is what John does here. And he starts by talking about three different audiences. And what he wants them to do is to embrace who they are in Jesus. And as we see these three different audiences, the first is the little children, the second is the fathers, and the third is the young men. Now, as we hear these different audiences that are talked about, it's not talking about those uh, that are the fathers because they have children. It's not those that are little children because of their age. It's not talking about uh, physical uh, qualifications. It's talking about spiritual qualifications. And these can apply to all of us. So little children are those who are new or young in the faith, new converts, those who've surrendered their lives to Jesus. The father, those are those that are mature in the faith. And the young men are those that may be newer in the faith, but they have overcome the evil one by studying and knowing God. So let's go ahead and, and talk about each one of these different uh, audiences. And it can apply to all of us and remind all of us of truth. First John uh, 2.12, I am writing to you little children because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. The first thing that we see for those, even those who just surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ, they can be assured of two things. One is that you have been forgiven of your sins for his name's sake. If you are in Christ, if you have turned away from the world, if you have confessed your sins before God, if you've surrendered your life to him, if you've made him Lord of your life and you have fruit in your life that you are following him, your sins have been forgiven. Amen? And this word that we're looking at here, it's in the Greek, it's actually a perfect tense. And what that means is that it's a past action that has results for the future. So this idea that we have been forgiven, we've been forgiven by God when we surrender our lives to Jesus for our past sins, and we will continue to be forgiven of our sins until the return of Jesus Christ. Amen? And so as we look at this, this doesn't mean that we should take away the, the beautiful practice of confessing our sins. I talked to you guys last week about this idea that we need to confess our sins before God. It's something that I want to do more in the new year because what it does is it causes us to realize what we've been saved from, to realize that at our very core, without Christ, we would be wicked and depraved and dark-hearted, and we wouldn't know God, and we would only pursue the things of this world. And so we can confess our sins before God, knowing he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. These are beautiful truths. You have been forgiven. And you have been forgiven, not based upon some, some random statement or just saying you have been forgiven, but you've been forgiven for a reason and in the name of someone. It says, for the sake of his name. Now, the he it's talking about is Jesus Christ himself. See, you have been forgiven in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, you have to understand within that culture, even more so than today, they deeply cared about their names. The name of the family, the heritage of the family was almost more important than the individual person at that time. They deeply valued the fathers of the faith. And so when you think about this idea of the name of Christ, it's their reputation. It's who they are. And they would want to defend that at all costs. And you see, one thing we need to understand about God is he deeply cares about his name. 
He has a passion to make his name famous among all peoples. I've said before that if I could summarize the Bible in one sentence, it would be that God's passion to make his name famous and be worshipped among all peoples for his glory and our salvation. There is this peace within the scriptures. We see that God is passionate for his name. We see it throughout the Old Testament. We see it in the New Testament. Jesus came to bring fame to the name of God, also to forgive us of our sins, which once again brings fame to the name of God. He saves those who are foolish in the world in order that they may boast in him. We are called to make his name famous, and God cares deeply about his name. He's passionate about his name. He's passionate about his glory, and it is right for him to be this way because he is God. If he was passionate about anything else or, or any other God, then he would not be God himself. He should be passionate about his worship because he is the greatest possible thing and we should worship him. And so we are forgiven for his name's sake. And it's not just saying the name of Jesus, it's the authority and the power that's in the name of Jesus. Now, if you understand the Greco-Roman culture a little bit, uh, the way it used to work was if there was a person in authority or power and they wanted to get another person into a place that was secured, what they'd do is they'd go to them and say, hey, listen, when you go there, tell them I sent you. Tell them my name. And so the person would go, let's say, to the Colosseum. They're going to get into the, uh, the special box that the Caesar would get into. Um, and, and what ends up happening is they go before the guard, and the guard says, you know, uh, why should I let you in? He says, in the name of Caesar. And when the guard hears that, he, he says, okay, I'm, I'm letting you in. And that's not because of just that name, it's because of the authority that's behind that name and the relationship with the one who is guarding the gate to the one who is proclaiming that he, that, that the one can go in. You see, the idea is, is that Jesus Christ himself is our advocate. That's what the Bible says. He is the mediator between God and man. He is the one who says, look, I know this one is guilty, but he is forgiven for the sake of my name. I took his punishment. And it's right, because listen, we learned that God is gracious and merciful, but God is also, also wrathful, justice, and righteousness. So if sin's not punished, then he's not just and righteous, right? But the reality is, if Jesus took the punishment, then there is justice. There is rightness. And because of that, we are forgiven. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen? Yes, praise God, amen. amen. So we are forgiven for the name of Jesus. And the second thing we see later on is that they know the Father. Now we talked about different knows. First being this intellectual understanding of knowing. Is this idea of actually having concepts that you, that you are aware of or, or that you can understand but then there's a know that's an intimate and an experiential and a deep knowing of God. That's what this is talking about. That you are known by the Father and you know the Father and we want to be known by the Father. Because as we think about even the very words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 7, is he, he says, there will be many of those who come to me in the last day and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do all these marvelous things in your name? And what does he say to them? Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness, for I never what? 
for I never knew you. You want to be known by God. It's not about what we do. It's about who we know and who knows us. It truly is about God knowing us, being in intimacy and relationship with him. It is not works that save us. It's not by works of righteousness that we have done. But according to his mercy, he saves us. He is our father. He is our advocate. He is our mediator. He's our intercessor. He is the one who stands and defends us before God and says, in my name, let him in. I know him or her. That's incredible. It's beautiful truth. So we see the little children. They're reminded that they're forgiven and that they know the Father. Second, we see the fathers. Now, as we look at this terminology within Scripture, many times we see uh, the masculine noun used to talk about fathers, or we hear the word man, or, or whatever else. When we look at the Christian community, uh, we're talking about men and women. So when we're talking about those who are spiritually mature in the faith, it's not just men who are spiritually mature in the faith, it's men and women who are spiritually mature in the faith. We're seeing in the Scriptures that the older women are supposed to disciple and teach the younger women. We're seeing in the Scriptures that the older men are supposed to disciple and teach the younger men. And so as we look at this, we see this idea of another category within the church, those who are spiritually mature. Now, age does not define spiritual maturity, but many times age follows uh, spiritual maturity or spiritual maturity follows age. Uh, so the reality is, is we need to be aware of those that are spiritually mature within the church, pursue them, get to know them, and grow in Christ with them. It's something that I think can happen with the culture that we live in today, namely, I think, millennials and, and that generation that says we don't need those who have been in the past. We don't need that knowledge. We can figure everything out ourselves. I'm part of that generation. Uh, but, but just remembering that we don't have everything figured out. We do need those who have come before us. The reality is, is that there are those within the body of Christ who have deep riches that we must learn to dig up and be able to treasure them and know them. That's why it's so vitally important that we do have people who are spiritually mature within the church, those who are, who are uh, seasoned saints within the church, those who are just over youth in the church, however uh, you want to put it, is those that are mature in the faith. And we need those because they have these treasures of living life and knowing God and pursuing him with faithfulness. And so we should pursue them and pray for them. The second thing is, is we should not forget the past. We should never forget history. We should never forget those who have gone before us. We stand on the shoulders of great giants of the faith, and we are only building on top of what they have built previously. We need to read those who have come before us. We need to read the Puritans. You may have not heard that word before. The Puritans, they were, uh, they were early fathers of the faith. We need to read guys like Jonathan Edwards. There's a book called Religious Affections by Jonathan Edwards. It's an incredible book about pursuing Christ and knowing him and knowing pleasure that is found only in him. A guy by the name of John Piper took off of Religious Affections, which was written by Jonathan Edwards and wrote a book called Desiring God. And it's this whole idea, the pleasures of God. And so um, 
it's, it's that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him and finding pleasure in him. Jonathan Edwards, guys like John Calvin, guys like Martin Luther. If you want to read a book that will challenge you and rock your world, especially if you grew up in more of a Wesleyan understanding of the word, read the book called Bondage of the Will by Martin Luther. It's an incredible book and it will challenge you. So read Old Dead Guys. And allow them to disciple you. St. Augustine. I mean, these are these guys who are standing and saying, okay, I am going to teach you everything that I've learned in life about this topic. Why would we not sit down with them, have a conversation for a couple of hours? R.C. Sproul, who recently passed away, he's not from way a long time ago, but he is dead now, so we can add him to that category. R.C. Sproul, a great uh, man of the faith, he has some incredible books, Holiness of God, Chosen by God, A.W. Pink's The Sovereignty of God. All of these books will rock your world and change your life, and I highly recommend them. We need to be readers. We need to understand the word. We also need to understand history. We have to understand context. We have to understand truth, and we have to understand what is going on in our world today because uh, Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, said this in Ecclesiastes, there is nothing new under the sun. So if you look back at history, you'll understand that the present is just repeating of history. And we'll continue to see more and more that God is sovereign and we will get through whatever it is that we're facing and he will still rule and he will still reign and we will still know him and we will still glorify his name. Amen. And so as we pursue him, yes, uh, praise the Lord. Um, so as we look at this, we see those who are spiritually mature, they can be defined as Hebrews 5.14. Uh, solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. This constant practice of distinguishing good from evil, they become mature there are those who are, eat spiritual meat. There are those who are, uh, those who are, their nutrition is from the deep doctrines and truths of the word of God. So as we study this, we need to know that there are those within us who are spiritually mature. It also says those who are spiritually mature, they have known the one who is from the beginning. Now this is where it's really important to understand the text of scripture and that it flows together. Uh, so the same author of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, he also wrote another book earlier in the Bible called The Gospel of, what do you think? Yes. Good job. John. And in this gospel, he talks about the one who is from the beginning, John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was the one who was from the beginning. The Word was with God, and literally, God was the Word. Well, who's the Word? Well, in verse 14, it says, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, the very Son of God. Who's the Son of God? Yes. So it is Jesus that they knew from the beginning. Now, here's where it's important to understand historical context and what's going on within a passage. If you don't have a study Bible, you need to pick one up today. The Reformer Study Bible is a good one. ESV Study Bible is a good one. Uh, or if you're somebody who wants to dive a little deeper, uh, you need to grab a commentary to read alongside Scripture. Because what we need to understand is there were actually things that were going on in the context that we are looking at in each and every book. 
look, and contrary to what some people say, the text of Scripture was written for a specific purpose to a specific audience, and it meant something to them, and we need to dive into that and find out what that was, and then bridge the context, bridge uh, this idea between the thousands of years to how does it apply to us today. Well, here's what we have to understand. What's going on within the culture of that day is that there are those who are coming who are false teachers who are saying that Jesus Christ never came as God in human flesh. And so John is writing this letter and battling that. And this is an attack that is facing the church. Now we come to the third audience that's talked about, the young men. And it says of these young men that they are conquerors, that they have overcome the evil one. Now the evil one within this text is Satan himself, the god of this age, the one who is the prince of the power of the air, the one who, who, is, the, who is the father of lies, the one who only wants to kill, steal, and destroy you, that's Satan. And, and this this idea that we're seeing here is these young men have figured out the secret to overcoming the temptation of Satan. Well, we should probably pay a little closer attention right here. Now, the temptation of Satan that he's talking about here is most likely these false doctrines and false teachings that are coming to the church. All throughout history, there have been false teachings that have come within the church and try and take people away from the true gospel. This shows us a few things. Any teaching that does not come from the word of God adds to the word of God, takes away from the word of God, is not from God, it is from Satan. Paul says, if, if, if even an angel of light comes to you and preaches a gospel different than what I am preaching to you, th then you need to ignore them. Because temptation just doesn't come with this little guy with a, with a forked tail and a red pitchfork. That's, that's not Satan. He's Lucifer. He is a being of light. He, 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 he comes in the things that we want tries to lead us astray. And so there are false doctrines continually facing our church, and we must be vigilant of them. We must know them. And here's the deal. Many false doctrines come from guys who are dressed up in nice suits who stand behind pulpits who claim to know Christ, and they don't. That's the reality. So we have to know the word in order that we can number, overcome these false teachings. Another recommendation I have for you, if you haven't watched it yet, uh, American Gospel. Um, it's a really good uh, documentary about some false teachings and the idea of adding works to salvation. And then there's a second one called American Gospel 2 in Christ alone, uh, or no, Christ crucified. And that's about the teaching of the prosperity gospel and some of those different pieces. You need to be aware aware of these things. We have to be aware of false teachings in our culture so that we can defend ourselves, we can defend our children, we can defend our spouses, we can defend our churches, because we're at war every single day. Would we ever go into warfare without our firearm? I wouldn't. That wouldn't be a wise move. So how can we ever go into a world that we know is one that is a battlefield without renewing our minds in the word each day? You see, what it says of these young men is that the reason they have overcome is because the word of God abides in them. 
The word of God abides in you. That's why they're strong. This means spiritually strong. This word abide means to remain or stay in. It means that they saturate themselves in the word. You could even say they marinate themselves in the word. They are those that just pour the word over them. Know the word. The word is their life. They don't get up in the morning, read three words, uh, listen to a little song, and then go in their three minutes that they had, and then go about the day. Now, that's better than nothing, but we need to continue to push ourselves to deeper study, deeper understanding. I highly recommend taking a month and getting into a book and read the introduction of it and the context of it and what's going on in it and understanding the words that are repeated within it and really diving into the word because in it you will find life. We need to marinate ourselves in the word of God. Now, for me, one of my favorite things, I, I like to barbecue, I like to, uh, I like to cook steaks and chicken, and one of the things that I like is to marinate chicken. I like to marinate it in some delicious Italian seasonings or uh, Parmesan oreganos or whatever other delicious flavors that you have, and you, you take it, you put it in a bag, you put, that, you put that marination in it, and you put it in the fridge overnight or, or, or a little bit longer, and then you take it out and you cook it, and when you eat that chicken, what does it taste like? Okay, yeah. But it has a flavor of whatever you marinated it in, right? Here's the reality. Whatever you marinate in is what you're going to taste like. The reality is, is that whatever you fill yourself with, that's what's going to come out. You see, what are we saturating ourselves in? What are we saturating ourselves in? Are we saturating ourselves in the word of God? Are we saturating ourselves with Christian brothers and sisters? Are we marinating in the truths of God's word? Or are we marinating in CNN, Fox News? Are we marinating in CBS? Are we marinating in whatever else? All of these things, no matter what perspective that they come from, they are not going to give you a very good perspective of God's world, especially right now. It's good to know what's going on in our culture today. It definitely is. But also, we have to know the word. Because the word is transcendent. Culture is not. The word transforms. The word is what truly puts us on that plumb line, that, that, that course that we should go on. It says in the word of God, Philippians chapter 4, finally, brothers, Whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are excellent, whatsoever things are praiseworthy, think on these things, practice these things, and what? The God of peace will be with you. Do you want peace? Focus on the things that are pure, lovely, just, excellent, praiseworthy. Read old dead guys who love Jesus with all their heart. Pursue his face, know him, read the word, saturate in it. Psalm 119.5, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Psalm 119.11, your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. We have to hide God's word in our heart. We have to memorize scripture. One thing that you can do this new year is memorize one verse a week. One verse a week. Now, if you want to challenge yourself a little bit more, you can do more scripture. Some of you are overachievers, so you want to do a paragraph, and I see you. <laughs> but one verse a week, we can all do that. Start with John 3.16. Give yourself an easy one. 
And then just, just continue to memorize scripture. There's a lot of great resources. Uh, Fighter Verses by John Piper is a really good resource. Um, there's a, a lot of different things that you can do. You know, we have to pursue the word with desperation in the culture that we live in today. Desperation. For me, Stacy and I, last night, we had a moment of desperation. And any parent can identify with this. Here's what happened. Our son Corbin, who's almost two years old, we're, we're getting ready to put him to bed. We're rocking him in the chair. We're reading him pout, pout fish. And as we're reading him pout, pout fish, we realize something. We don't know where his pacifier is. Yeah. So, the next half an hour, we turn our house over trying to find this pacifier. We pursue it with everything we have. We have to find this pacifier because he's screaming and this is the only thing that's going to give him peace. We have to pursue it. We have to find it. We have to give it to him. It's desperation. <laughs> then my wife finally found it and we had a moment of worship. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And may we pursue his word and may we pursue Christ in the same way that a parent pursues a pacifier <laughs> in the desperation of the night. May we pursue him with everything we have and be reminded of who we are in Jesus. The second thing, we're told to reject the world and what it has to offer. 1 John 2.15, do not love the world or the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That's a pretty bold statement. That's a pretty big proclamation. What that means is you are not a Christian if your passion and desire is for the world. That's what it's saying. This idea of not loving the world means to reject the world. It says do not love the world or the things in the world. Either one of those two things. Now, we have to realize that the world isn't bad. Like the things that God has given us and created, they're created by God and we can enjoy them. And there's some things I really love. I love to enjoy a nice burger. You know, I really enjoy some of the things that the Lord has given us. But the reality is, is that we don't worship burgers. We don't worship the good things that God has given us. This is one of the biggest mistakes since the beginning of time is worshiping the creature or the creation over the creator. It's making idols in our lives and it's making the world the thing we love and pursue. The world, what does this mean? Is that all material things? No, there was a false teaching that faced that time that said all material things were bad and only spiritual things were good. No, God says material things are good. He created them. He called them good. Yet sin has, sin has corrupted them and saturated them. And so we worship them instead of God and we have to be aware of that. No, the world is the system of human existence in its many aspects. The world are the values and morals and the things the world pursues. Power, prestige, position, and profit, and pornos or sexuality. That is what our world pursues with everything that they are. They want to be powerful. They want to be rich. They want to have uh, intimacy in, in whatever way. They want to have pleasures to themselves. These are the things the world pursues. It's the flesh. It's the desires of the flesh. That's what it talks about. Or the desires of the eyes, the things we see and we want to go after it. Now, wanting things. 
for the glory of God and for the fame of his name and to enjoy them and to enjoy Christ in them. There's nothing wrong with that. Yet when they, we make them the pursuit of our life and we're putting in 90 hour weeks so that we, and we're neglecting our family or our church or the community or the word in order to get them, then we need to check ourselves. We have to see the reality that we're called to be in the world. We're in the world, but not of it. See, do not love the world or the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now listen, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride and possessions is not from the Father. The world is passing away along with its desires but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Loving the world is to have high esteem for or satisfaction with it, to take pleasure in it. Really loving it is two things, sacrificing for it and actions toward it. You will spend your time, your resources for what you love. One of the greatest ways to see our priorities is to look at our calendar and our bank accounts. The reality is, is that we will sacrifice for that which we love. So what are we sacrificing for? Are we sacrificing for the Lord? Are we sacrificing maybe our, our reputation to say, you know what? For me, I'm a follower of Jesus and I'm not going to sleep with my boyfriend or girlfriend until I get married. Maybe it's saying, no, I, I know everybody else is cheating on that test. I'm not cheating on that test. I'm going to trust in the Lord. Maybe it's saying, I know everybody in my office has shady business practices and are just trying to do whatever they can to get a buck, especially right now. But I trust in the God who owns a cattle on a thousand hills and who works out all things for my good and his glory. So I'm not going to do that because I represent the name of Jesus and not just Andrew. Whatever it is. Whatever it is, may we find our pleasure in, may we pursue, may we want to know, may we love God because the world can never offer you what you need. The world can never offer and fulfill even on its promises. The world cannot give you anything that is truly lasting. It is only Christ. So may we check our appetites, the things that we desire. May we look at our affections, the things that we love and may we examine our ambitions, the things that cause us to live. Because the word of God says, do not love the world nor the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, if you're someone today who says, listen, that's me. I love the world. Like, I love it. And I really don't love God. And really, I've sat in church my whole life or, 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 or I went to youth group or I know a lot of wanna verses or maybe it's my first time here today and I've never heard this before. Like, I love the world. But listen, I, I hear you though. I want something that's eternal and lasting. I want a peace that passes all understanding. I wanna know Jesus. Well, you can do that today. That's the gospel. That's the good news. You have hope. You just turn away from your old way of life, confess your sins before God, give him your entire life, there's a piece about dying to your old self and giving him everything, which is not easy, but it will be freedom. And you'll find rest there, trusting in his death on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins and the sake of his name. 
and giving yourself to him. If you're a believer, be reminded of the truth that you've been forgiven for his name's sake. And then go forth and proclaim his name and make his name famous and represent his name well because his reputation is on the line. If you're a believer, you're one who's been pursuing God in, in spiritual faith for many, many years, God sees you. God sees your faithfulness and you should be honored. If you're somebody who is in a battle with the evil one right now, the way you will overcome is through the word. Ephesians chapter 6 says that our only offensive weapon against the attacks of Satan is the very word of God. That's the reality. So may we arm ourselves with the word. May we uh, saturate ourselves in it. May we memorize it. And may our affections be for Christ and not the world. Because he's greater than the world. And the truth is, is that only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. So may we go forth today, may we pursue Christ, love him deeply, reject the things of this world, and bring God glory. Let's pray. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.